So I've been uh, over Ju- throughout June and into, well, basically up to the end of this week, we've been doing this uh, daily uh, video called Faith Builders, and I've been preaching this series about faith builders, about how um, we take hold of the things that Christ has already paid for us. And I've talked in previous weeks about who we are in Christ, that, that Christ is in us, that he lives in us, that we are in Christ, uh, but he's also in us. And therefore, we're not ordinary people. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I, I look in the mirror in the morning. I, I don't know if any of you look in the mirror in the morning, but in my case, it's a particularly scary sight. Hair all over the place, needs a shave, you know, can't open my eyes. It's not good. But, you know, like, I look in the mirror in the morning, and when we look at the physical things we see, often we, we go, we, we see ourselves as ordinary people. And not only ordinary people, but we're aware of our failings, and we're aware, aware of, of, of things that we can and can't do more than anybody else is. And we tend to focus on those, don't we? I, you know, I, I, I find myself doing that. It's not a good thing to do, but I find myself doing that. I find myself focusing on all the things that I'm not very good at. And, and sometimes we can end up thinking, well, I wish I was somebody else. You know, they're amazing at this or they're amazing at that. And I don't know if that, I mean, I'm kind of hoping that's not just me. I mean, like, if that's other people, you could nod and encourage me at this point. Because I'm kind of guessing it, it, it's, it's a lot of us. And even if it's not a lot of us all the time, it's all of us some of the time. That, that we, we become very aware of what we're not. And that's why it's so important that we do what Jesus tells us, which is to look at who we are, not who we're not. And it's kind of often hard to do that. It's often hard in this, this kind of world we live in where, you know, we, we are constant. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, and, and this is perhaps the subtlety of it, but we've been manipulated all the time. We've been, been manipulated to buy things and engage in things all the time. And the way manipulation works in the advertising industry, the media and all that sort of stuff, is it tells you what you haven't got and then tells you if you have it, you'd be a better person and more acceptable to other people. And, and we, we subconsciously get that and it's no wonder that we react and we, we, we then focus on our own failings and, our, and, and who we aren't. But Jesus calls us to look at who we are. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about how we step into who we are instead of living with who we're not. So is that, is that, does that make sense? Is that okay? You see, when I, when I say things like that, people go, well, you know, Mark, sometimes you say that you've got this little phrase, uh, an army of uh, ordinary people who do extraordinary things. That's, that's the goal. That's what we're trying to to raise an army of ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And I get, I get this response, which is, well, you know, you keep talking about Jesus, and Jesus could do all these things, but he was Jesus. You can't expect me to do that sort of thing. You can't expect me to expect that in my life. You can't expect faith life to, to live like that. And even, you know, even if I accept that and I go, okay, well, that's Jesus, yeah? Okay, he was, he was God-made man. What about the disciples? They were, they were men who walked on earth. And, and then I, I so that's my, that's my response, you see. And then I get this, this pushback, which is, 
Well, that was the disciples. They walked with Jesus. They saw it all. They saw him, you know, resurrected and all that. You can't expect me to, to, to do that uh, because they were special people. They were special people chosen by Jesus. And here's what I want you to, to get from this. Yes, they were special people. But that isn't why the power of God operated in their life. You see, the power of God will operate in the life of any believer who will believe God. Whether they're special people or not special people. And, and we, we often think, well, I have to be a special person to, to live this, this Christian life like, like I'm supposed to. And, and you don't. What you have to be is somebody who has the power of God operating in your life. And that, that's why, you know, here we talk a lot about the, 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 the life of faith which lives with the power of God, where we see the kingdom manifest, where we expect God to break in, to break through, to, to break out and to do miracles and to change lives. And that's our expectation. That's my expectation. And here's what I have as a core belief. And, you know, we can put this up on the screen because I think it's so important. Every ordinary person has the potential to be special because of the power that is in them through the Spirit of God. Every ordinary person, that's you, that's me, that's everybody here and loads of other people, has the potential to be special because of the power that is in them through the Spirit of God. Here's what I want you to understand. The potential is the same in every believer because we all have the same Spirit. And the potential lies in the fact that we all have that Spirit in us. But potential doesn't always have to manifest. Potential can remain potential for the whole of your life. There's, there's cemeteries and, and graveyards full of wasted potential. And I, I don't want that for any of us. I want us to see our potential and live from it. And when you're born again, you cease to be ordinary. You know, however you look in a mirror, however you, you see yourself in the morning, all those shortcomings, the truth is that when you became born again, you ceased to be ordinary. That you became a new creation. Uh, literally, that's uh, a new species of being. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, old things have become new. And... Here's, here's the point of that. That word new creation, we, we can think, well, okay, that's, that's nice. God's cleaned us up a bit. Somehow I sparkle more on the outside. I've got a happier smile. I'm a better person. But when it says new creation, literally, in the original language, that means new species of being. You are not who you were before you became a believer. Now, Remember what I said, potential. That is true of every one of us. We are not who we were before we became a believer. We're all new species of being. You are not the same as somebody you sit next to on a bus or walk past in the street or sit next to at work who is not a believer. You might feel like you are, but the truth is you're not. You're a new species of being. You are full of the Spirit of God. You, you, inside, you are wall-to-wall -wall Holy Spirit. 
But the potential that is in you needs to become the reality that is outside you. Otherwise, it's wasted potential. And so, in our spirits, we're different. And so, what, what's happened is that ordinary person we were before we were a believer has now been replaced with a supernatural person. And in that supernatural person, the Holy Spirit lives. Now, he, he, what I want you to say, you say, I didn't know that for, I guess, about the first 15 to 20 years of my Christian life. Nobody told me that. And as a result, everything that came along knocked me over. And I never saw anything supernatural. In fact, I remember, like, really getting fed up with the whole Christianity thing because I thought the devil had all the power and God didn't actually do anything. He was just sat, sat up there waiting for me to get to heaven eventually if I could put up with everything that was thrown at me. And that's the picture I'd been given by church and the teaching that I'd had or the absence of teaching I'd had. And, the, and, and when, you, when that is your fundamental belief system about who you are and how life works, that is what happens to you. You get knocked over by everything because you've got nothing to, to uh, enable you to use and access that potential that is in you. But once I realized that I wasn't ordinary, and, you know, it, it, we can get, like, all this humility stuff, can't we? And, and we go, well, how can you say you're not an ordinary person? Well, I, okay, in one sense, I'm an ordinary person because I'm just like everybody else. But in God's eyes, I'm not. You know, humility in the word of God doesn't mean miserable moaning, cowed down, beaten up, squashed into the ground by everybody else. That's not humility, that's stupidity. Because you're an extraordinary person. Humility is acknowledging who you are in Christ and knowing it all comes from him. That's humility, knowing who you are in Christ and knowing it all comes from him. Um, and so, when I, when I found out I wasn't an ordinary person, I started to pray and expect to see extraordinary things. That was the turnaround. Before then, I'd never prayed and expected to see extraordinary things. I'd prayed out of desperation and pleaded with God to, to make things better. That's not the same thing. That's not an answer that gets prayer. Uh, that's not a prayer that gets answered. What gets answered is a prayer of faith where we expect to see God produce an extraordinary answer. And, and it's based on his word. And as soon as I realized that, I started, you know, I've shared these stories multiple times. I started praying for people. I saw spines strengthened. I saw blind eyes open. I saw bodies healed. I saw people delivered. I saw lives changed. I saw, saw souls saved. And it was all a result of the fact that I realized I was no longer an ordinary person. Christ lived in me. It was a big trigger. And, you know, if somebody told me that 15, 20 years earlier, there'd have been a lot more bodies healed and a lot more souls in the kingdom. And that's why we need to talk about these things and understand these things. Because I didn't hear that. I never once heard anybody preach that and talk about that. And then once I, knew, once I saw it, I wondered actually what bits of the Bible they had been preaching, because it's everywhere. It's just absolutely everywhere. And I'm going like, what were they preaching? What were they talking about? And, and I, could, I just couldn't get my head around it. So I, 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 did, I did something extraordinary. I decided to read the Bible for myself and see what it actually said. All the bits that I'd never heard preached on. And I have to say, I wasn't really enamored with Leviticus or Ecclesiastes. But the rest of it was cool. 
Anyway, so here's what the Bible says about us as extraordinary people. The person you were has been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. And, you know, I talked about that but you know, a couple of weeks ago and I, say, I made this statement. I, am, I don't just have Christ that, and he does some things in my life. I am Christ in me. That's my nature. That's who I am. And, and why is that important? Here's why that's important. You see, the Christ who lives in you, the, the spirit of Christ in you, doesn't want to just be a passenger who you take around in your life. He actually wants to get out of you and on with the work of the kingdom. Every one of us has the spirit of Christ in us, but we carry him, a lot of us are carrying him around like a pass, passenger. We won't let him do, actually do any work through us. And the call on us is to let him work through us. And as we become more and more God-inside-minded, increasingly you see the ordinary made extraordinary through your life. That's the natural pattern for a believer. Um, I can't remember whether it was this week, but one of the little videos this week was called, Are You Normal? I want you to look at the person next to you and have a look and see if they're normal. I know that's going to be hard for some of you and, and not, not so difficult for others. I don't know, what's your conclusion? Are the people sat next to you normal? Why is everybody looking at me? <laughs> Are you normal? No, you're not. But here's the thing. This, this, this form of Christianity that so many have settled for is abnormal. Normal Christianity should be expecting to see life changed, people in bondage delivered, bodies healed, people set free, and making an impact outside the walls of the church. That's normal Christianity. Unfortunately, we've settled for an abnormal form of Christianity that has brought it inside the walls of the church to a, a short meeting on a Sunday and a short midweek meeting, and that's it. That's abnormal. If you are living like that as a believer, you are abnormal. You need fixing. Because that's not normal Christianity, but we have an expectation that that's what it looks like. Because that's what we've experienced and seen. We've been institutionalized in some ways. So I want to just take you to what a, an extraordinary, ordinary person looks like. I think I said that right. Just that extraordinary, ordinary person or an ordinary, extraordinary person. It works both ways. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 to 35. This is in uh, the middle, well, it's obviously part of Hebrews chapter 11. That's, you can take that. But the whole of Hebrews chapter 11 is about what we call the great hall of faith. All these great characters from the Bible who get named in this hall of faith. And, and so we're starting to get a bit down the list by, by here. And here's what it says. What more shall I say? For, the, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now here's what... Here's what denotes a great person of faith. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made, 
were made strong and became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the enemy, and women received their dead raised to life again. So what happens is this uh, list of faith people, or great men of faith, starts with some biggies, like Abraham and Moses, and then it it goes on to a few names you might not have heard of so much, and then it, it kind of broadens it out to completely ordinary people who were seeing their dead raised, who were, turn, who were seeing in their lives weakness turned to strength, becoming valiant in battle, obtaining promises, and seeing the things of the kingdom come to pass. That's a description of normal Christianity. Now, in, in this passage, It goes on, and right at the end, in verse 40, it says this, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So, what it says, and it starts with Abraham, and it goes down Moses, and it's got Daniel, and all these great men and people of God in there, uh, Elijah, and all, all, all of them in there, and then it comes to the end, and it says, we have something better than they had, not lesser than they had, not so we look back and go, well, it's just not like that anymore. We look forward and go, actually, it's better than what they had. We have the Spirit of Christ resting upon us and in us, and that's what we should be expecting to see in our life. Because we've got something better than all those great men of faith have. And that's kind of sometimes a bit hard for us to get our heads around because we've got kind of used to reading about them, idolizing these guys, putting them up on a pedestal and saying, I'll never be like that. And yet the writer of Hebrews says, actually, they, they, they don't have what you have. You, you don't have to go through some of the things they went through because you've got an advantage. And, and this, is, this is kind of this mind shift that we need to make. We need to to start seeing it like that. Because the writer of Hebrews says that all these things were written down about these men so that they can also be attained by us. Now, that's kind of a real challenge, isn't it? I'll just throw that out there. Like, big challenge for Barbecue Family Sunday. Because, you know, I'm Mark, this is what I do. Big challenge. The things that were attained by them should also be attained by us. Now, just have a, have a little thing. Do I think of myself like that? Because it, the Word of God's now telling you that's who you are. I'm, am, I, am I like seeing myself as having better promises than Moses? Am I seeing myself as able to uh, walk in faith like Abraham? Am I, what, would, what would happen if I was uh, forced with threat of death to say that I can't pray for my God and yet, like Daniel, I open my window and pray openly? And then we translate that into the context of our society today and we go, well, we're not very far off that situation that Daniel found himself in. And this tells me I have an advantage over Daniel. And so we respond to things and we respond to things in our life from that mentality, that way of thinking. And so that's my challenge for you today, to, to, to respond to things and, and, and try and go, God, 
shift my, my thinking so I see things that way. Now, here's, here's the thing about those people in this Hall of Fame. Their faith wasn't something in abstract. Their faith wasn't something where they just talked about it, had a Bible study about it, and prayed about it. It, it wasn't that quality of faith. Their faith was something that took the promises of God believed them and acted on them. Took what God had said to them, believed it and acted on it. So there was a corresponding action that went with the faith. It, it wasn't faith as in, you know, let's, let's listen to some preachers or let's get on the internet and get all our favourite preachers and, and we'll listen to what they've got to say about this and they've got to say about that and then we'll have a Bible study about it and then six of us will get together and we'll have another Bible study on the same topic and we'll pray about it, etc., etc. It actually resulted in action. There was a concreteness around what they did. They, they, they lived according to what they believed. And, and sometimes we can separate the two, what we believe and how we live. And the Bible's got a word for that. It calls it walking in the flesh instead of in the spirit. And walking in the spirit, there is corresponding actions that go with what we believe. And that's why these guys are in the whole of faith. Because they took an action based on what God had talked to them about or what they had been promised to them. So there's a corresponding action about it. James, uh, who was Jesus' brother, he writes that faith without actions is actually dead faith. There's no life to it. It doesn't give life. And it doesn't give life to you and it doesn't give life to anybody else. It's dead faith. And here's what, what, what I mean by that. You have a power inside of you the holy spirit that means that you don't you shouldn't ever find yourself in the position of going around uh, moaning and whining and complaining my life is awful and it's all hopeless it's all terrible it's never without hope and what you are experiencing at the moment is never the final outcome unless you accept it <coughs> at which point it becomes the final outcome and, you know, so many people I've heard over the last five, ten years, people in church saying, it's just too hard. It's just too difficult. I'm just too busy. And that is not the mentality of an extraordinary person who knows who they are. It's the mentality of somebody who's focusing on what they're not. And we need to focus on who we are. Yeah? You still with me? You're very quiet today. I could, like, do with some whooping and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that'll do, yeah. Like, every other sentence be good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me, let me take you on to something else. Not only do we see that that faith has a corresponding action, we also see that that sort of faith is rewarded by God. Now, sometimes we, we think, well, reward's a dirty word and, you know, we... You know, we preach grace and we do preach grace, but you can't get away that the fact that the, the Bible says that God rewards certain things. Yeah. And there's a certain type of faith that God rewards. You can have faith in all sorts of things, but if it's not a faith in the things of God, it doesn't do you any good and doesn't get rewarded. There's a type of faith that receives a reward. 
And so go with me to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. A lot from Hebrews this morning. I love Hebrews. Great. Brilliant book. Hebrews chapter 5, 12 to 14. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the same things again. The first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Now, here we go. But solid food. Who needs some solid food instead of milk? Who wants to actually grow up into some big stuff? Some big victories. Not just a little tiny victory, some big ones. So, we need some solid stuff. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Yeah, you're a, you can be a full age at the age of two or the age of 82 or 92. Full age has nothing to do with physical age, thankfully. Full age has to do with knowing who you are in Christ. Those who are full age, that is those who by reason of use have their senses trained to discern both good and evil, right and wrong, flesh and spirit. Now, that's a really important principle. That those who have their spirit, he's talking about spiritual senses, those who have their senses trained by reason of use to discern, to know what's going on, to discern what's God, what isn't God, to discern what's the enemy, to discern what's the flesh, to know how to respond. How do you get there? You've got to use what you have. Faith unused stays drinking milk. I like that. I'll do that again. Faith unused stays drinking milk. Faith used gets solid food. So there's, there's something we have to do with our faith. We actually have to take step out, take some risks, believe God, and start seeing some different things. Because if we don't use the faith, the faith that we have, it stays small, it stays diluted, it stays wishy-washy milk. These are quite strong things this morning, aren't they? I'm, I'm feeling I need a sausage already. <laughs> <laughs> now, where I want to, like the second part of what I want to talk about is, is this. Those, those words, trained. Um, that word there means trained or exercised. Given a workout, that, that, that's sort of the thing. So if you go, if you go on the bungee castle uh, jump later or the, the other things that we've got out there, you get a bit of a workout. Some of us will find that as we try and do that, perhaps we're not quite as fit as we, we should be. And, and perhaps we need some more workouts, so we, we need a bit more training. So at the age of 70, I was, I was in the Team GB sprinting squad. So what we used to do is... Everything that came out in the summer on the track was achieved in the winter in the rain and the snow. What you see in the summer was achieved in the winter. And we have this, we have this place in the middle of Kendall, which is where I grew up, and it, it's, it's Kendall Castle. And it's on a hill, and it, wherever you go on Kendall Castle, a really steep hill, wherever you go, you look down over the town. It was uh, Catherine Parr's home when, before she married Henry VIII. It's now completely derelict. But what we did, used to do for winter training is one of the things we used to go down. And I never worked out how, why we used to do that because it was always hillstoning and it was horizontal, you know, rain. It was horrible. 
it was mud. And, and we, used to, we used to do sprints up this hill. So we'd run 25 metres up the hill, full blast, and then walk back down and then do it again. And then walk back down and do it again. And walk back down and do it again. And then we used to do other crazy stuff. Like we used to stand at the bottom of the hill and there was a flat bit down at the bottom. And we used to, and I'm not going to demonstrate, but you used to do what were called power exercises. You used to do bounding. You used to run 100 metres bounding. It was absolute agony. But why, do you, why would you do something like that? Because in the summer, when you're coming down the finishing straight on a 400 metres and your legs turn to jelly, you want to turn to jelly later on in the race. Not at 250 metres. You you everybody's legs turns to jelly in a 400 metres, but you want it to be 50 metres out, not 150 metres out. And that is done by all those bounding exercises and all those running up and down the hills. There's a repetition effect about it that trains that into your body. And that's the sort of training he's talking about with our spiritual senses. So how do you get that sort of training? How did I get that sort of training? So this is a, like the natural to supernatural. It's the same principle. There's certain aspects of that. Firstly, you need a good trainer. There is nothing worse than trying to, that like a bunch of unruly 17-year-old lads trying to do that on their own. Because without a good trainer, I guarantee you, those lads are in the pub. They're not running up the hill in the pouring rain in the hillstones. And to, to, to have a good trainer, what this means is we need to set aside time each day to read the word of God and to listen to his voice. Now, remember that. You need the two together because what you want is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to be your trainer. And sometimes we just try to get the Word of God to be our trainer and there's no life in it. So we need the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. So we need a good trainer. Uh, John calls him that you don't need anybody else because you've got the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you from his Word. And so we need that, we need a trainer. And so if we want to be mature, that's strong. Uh, we have to commit to that and prioritize it over other things. So I know this is really sad for you, but it turned out well, as you know. But I had to, I prioritized my training over dating. And there wasn't video games and things like that, because th that probably won. But I prioritized it over training, uh, over dating. <laughs> And over sort of going out to parties and doing other stuff and hanging around at mates' houses and, and things like that. There's, there's a cost to it. But those things, are, none of them were necessarily bad, but they fill your time. And we, we have this thing that, well, I'm just too busy. Well, it's not a question of being too busy or having too little time. It's a question of where, where realigning your life so the priorities are right. And, and this is the most important priority if we're going to have our senses trained by reason of use. The second thing you need, already told you it, is some repetition. Some repetition. You've got to do your reps. And what I mean by that is you've actually got to dwell on God's word and think about it and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through it and study it. I was trained, you know, before I knew any of the stuff I knew, and this is probably why I didn't know it, 
I was trained, I, got, I was given a little daily reading. It was called Daily Bread or something like that. And it was, you got one verse and then you got two paragraphs of commentary and a little pair at the bottom. And I never managed to do it for more than a couple of weeks. And, and I'd do it and, and then I'd miss one and then I'd try to do a few others and catch up. And then I'd, I'd be pleased with myself, caught up, but then I'd fail again. And then I'd try again and I'd catch up and then I'd give up. But the p a really annoying thing about Daily Bread was it came out every three months. So at the end of three months, you could wipe it all clean and buy another one and have another go. And that was my life. And I ended up knowing nothing whilst actually trying to spend time with God every day. Because I didn't understand that I was meant to, to, to ponder it, meditate on it, let the Holy Spirit speak to me through it, and, and just you know, keep going and, to get the understanding God wanted me to get. And as a result, I knew nothing. So whenever, like, in a, a real-life storm came along, it knocked me over because I didn't know. And I didn't have any foundation in there. I didn't have any root system. But I was doing what I thought was the right stuff, and it was useless to me when, whenever anything came along because I didn't understand this, this principle that I needed to, to mull it over, to ponder it. The, the Bible uses a word to describe that called meditation, and that isn't like, transcendental meditation it's not even like sitting on the floor with your legs crossed you know when you when I was a bit more nimble doing that funny all those funny exercises like this and going um, that's not meditation not biblical what meditation means is to repeat it over and over to oneself and you find that if you do that with the the, the word of God it, you know after a few minutes you find all sorts of new things that you've never seen any b before just by repeating Here's the third thing you need, and this, this is the one I liked. You need good food, good, healthy food. Now, life's moved on a bit since I was, um, you know, training back in the uh, 70s and 80s. And yet, so good food in those days was at the end of the training session, we were all given a bottle of Guinness or a bottle of Mackison and drink because it was good for you. And I thought that was a great training method. That's, that's, that, obviously, that isn't kind of the recommended approach anymore. But you need good nutrition, you need good health, you know, you need good things. And what that means is that, that we need to have a little shift in what we're consuming in our lives. Because if we don't have that shift, we'll end up consuming the stuff that's pumped at us. The stuff that social media shows us, the stuff that the TV shows us, the stuff that the news shows us. And what we'll end up doing, because we can be quite passive at this, we'll end up watching and seeing a lot of stuff that affirms stuff that is actually not godly. And the result of that is that we tend to become very tolerant of non-godly things. What we, we actually need is some good food that affirms godly things. Uh, Paul in the letter to Philippians put it this way all that, think on these things all is good, all is pure, all is true honourable, pleasing, commendable worthy, excellent things that's the kind of those sort of things should be occupying our mind that's kind of some, you know, partly why we do testimonies because it enables us to focus on the good things of God instead of uh, all, the, all the rubbish and bad things so Good trainer, repetition, good food. Here's the fourth thing. And this is again from Hebrews. You need diligence. 
at that point, using the word diligent, yeah, I expected to get silence on that one, and that's what I got. The alternative I was going to come up with is if I used the word diligence, we got booze. Like, that sort of booze. Not booze, as in, <laughs> as in going back to the Guinness example. <laughs> Not booze. <laughs> Here's what Hebrews 11.6 says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who go to church. Okay, let's. he's a rewarder of those who say they're Christians. He's a rewarder of those who go to church on a Sunday and never think about it the rest of the week. He's a rewarder of what? Those who diligently seek him. You see, a lot of people try and please God because they think they'll, he'll be angry with them if they don't. And he'll punish them if they don't. This side of the cross, that is completely wrong. But because of the love of God and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, there should be a desire, if we're walking in the Spirit, to please God. And God says, I will reward that desire. In um, James, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So there's, there's a response from God as we draw near to him. There's a response from God as we seek him. There is a link between diligence and seeing the rewards of the kingdom in our life. So yeah, afternoon entertainment arriving. There's a link, I'll say that again, there's a link between diligence and seeing the rewards of God in our life. Seeing the promises of God manifest in our life. Sometimes people, and the, none of you, thankfully, you know, we've just said none of you, but sometimes people have come to Cheryl and I and they said, well, you know, this is happening in my life, this is terrible, this is awful, and what should I do about it? So we tell them what the word says and, and show them, you know, how to respond and how to stand in faith. And they'll come back two weeks later and they'll say, oh, it's terrible, my life's awful, my life's awful. And we'll say to them, did you do what I told you to do? And they'll say, no, I haven't had time. And, and we'll say, so if it's ever you, we'll say, go away. When you've got time, then come back. <laughs> because without doing the things, there is no resultant reward. There's no manifestation of the kingdom. There's no drawing near of the presence of God. You're not earning this. You've got to understand this. You're not earning this. It's not, I'm not talking about salvation. But what I am talking about is there is a dynamic in the kingdom that requires us to be diligent, otherwise we will end up walking in the flesh. And when we end up walking in the flesh, we don't see the things of the kingdom. So the antidote to walking in the flesh is to diligently seek God, to seek his heart, to seek his presence, to seek his relationship with him, to seek his voice, to hear his voice, and to do his voice. That, that's the antidote to walking in the flesh.
And that's what this is talking about. Now, God is the same towards everybody. He, this tells us, he is not the one determining how much of the kingdom and promises of God you see in your life. That might shock you. God is not the one who determines how much of the kingdom and his promises you actually see in your life. You are. A lot of people don't like that, so they come up with all sorts of squiffy stuff that says, oh, God, just he does what he wants, when he wants, and you can never understand him, waffly, waffly, widdly, widdly. No, God isn't like that. That's just really wrong stuff. Why do we end up thinking that that, that is right? When God says, I am a covenant-making God, I am faithful, I keep my promises, Christ paid for all the blessings and favor on your life. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in a heavenly place. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. I will always be with you to the end of the age. And we read all those things and we go, instead of saying there's something not adding up in my life, we go, oh, God's just all waffly and fizzy and, and does things and, and you can never understand God. And it's just wrong. It's not what the Bible says. What we are doing is taking the word of God and reinterpreting it in the light of our experience and disempowering, disenfranchising and putting down ordinary believers who have the potential to be extraordinary because we decided we'd explain away our own lack of desire for God. And we have disenfranchised and disempowered a generation of believers. We do the same now. We do all sorts of things. We say, well, you know, we believe in healing, but we're not going to pray for healing in church. And we're not going to teach about healing in church in case it doesn't work. And we're not going to actually help get, encourage anybody to pray for healing. And we're not going to expect any healing, but if it turns up, we'll take the glory. That's, that's just wrong and bad theology. We've got to take the successes with the failures and, and push in to see more because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you still with me? Now that word diligently seek, I'm nearly finished by the way, comes from a Greek word, as they all do. And the Greek word is, I can't say it, exito. It means to zealously seek for something with all your heart and strength and might. Another way of saying that is to passionately go after something because that's where you've set your heart. To passionately go after something because that's where you've set your heart. This is what, what, what that, that verse is in Hebrews is saying. Those who passionately go after God because they have set his, their heart on him as the great prize of their life will be rewarded by encountering God. That's what we all want, isn't it? Why do you want to do church where you don't encounter God and nothing happens? Why, 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 what's the point? I want, to be, I want to be a person who knows the heart of God, hears his heartbeat, lives from that place, and, and walks around getting to sharing all the great stuff he's doing because I let him out from, being in, from the spirit that's inside of me. That's what I want. Here's the point I'm trying to get to with this fourth thing. You can't be neglectful 
and prosper in spiritual things at the same time. You can't neglect the training and the basics and expect to prosper in spiritual things. I'm not saying you won't see some miracles, but you're going to have to rely on those who are actually doing the diligent stuff because you won't be able to yourself. You can't take or leave Christianity and expect things to come to you and then complain when they don't. We've got, got to kind of get away from this making excuses for ourselves. And the fifth thing, so we've had a good trainer, repetition, good food, diligently going after God. Um, you need to practice and keep practicing what you see and hear. Whatever the weather, whatever the headwinds, horizontal hailstones coming at your life, muddy quagmires that you're attempting to get one foot in front of the other in, you have to practice and keep on going. Because if you do that, the mud will turn to dry land, the hailstones will stop, the rain will stop coming, the winds will stop blowing, winter will turn to summer, and you'll get out on that track and you will run faster and freer than you have ever run before. And that's what we want, isn't it? To run faster and freer than we've ever run before. You will be trained, you will be fit, and you will be ready to take some victories and enjoy some overcoming and kicking the enemy who's been trying to take from your life for too long. Amen? Let's stand. Father, I thank you, I thank you, I praise you, I glorify you. Lord, that you've provided everything we need. You've given us your spirit. You've called us ordinary people. You've called us out and made us extraordinary. You didn't just leave us to, to try and sort out our act, but you came to live in us. You made us a new species of being, a new life within us. And Lord, I ask that, that today we will... We will set out on that training. Though, if we're already on the training, Lord, then just keep giving us more good food and, and help us to do more and more stronger reps. But we just want to go for that, Lord. And Lord, we put our trust in you as our teacher, our provider, our king, the one who is always with us. And Lord, I just want to declare today, you have the passion of my heart. I'm coming after you with everything I have because I've set my sights that I want you more than anything else. You as number one. Amen. Amen.